Sorry. Sorry about that. I was playing with my mic. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kevin. I am the product specialist for Skywatcher here in North America. And welcome to the What's Up webcast here at Skywatcher. Uh, I appreciate you guys joining us this morning on another Friday morning. Um, if you've never been with us before, the What's Up webcast takes place every Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific, uh, right here at the Skywatcher USA YouTube channel. Uh, we cover everything that has to do with astronomy, to what's up in the nighttime sky, to equipment, uh, to helpful tips and tricks uh, that might help advance your imaging or visual experience in astronomy. And then, of course, the last Friday of every month, we have a special guest on. But it is the first Friday of the month, which means we're checking out what's up in the nighttime sky for the month. Uh, hopefully, this will encourage you to get out and check out some of these objects. Um, but it is... February. So with that being said, it's the shortest month of the year and there's not a heck of a lot of neat, unique things happening this month, but there's still plenty of cool things to go out and observe. Um, and we're going to take a, take a look at those and uh, we have a good time doing it. Um, so like I said before, if you're new here, welcome. If you're joining us again, welcome back. Happy Friday. Um, and we are happy to see you here this morning. So let's get started. Um, of course, as with anything, if you really enjoy watching our webcast here, uh, go ahead and subscribe to the channel. It actually does help us out. Um, you can uh, go ahead and subscribe there. Anytime we upload and schedule new live uh, video casts like this, you'll get an email saying all the new episodes that are coming up. Uh, currently, we've scheduled everything out to March, which is already on the channel here. You get to see uh, what we have coming up. So we're, we're excited about that and bringing you along for the ride. Uh, if you ever want to check out or I'm sorry, if you ever want to email us and ask us about a topic maybe that we should cover or you have any questions on the webcast, you can email us at support at skywatcherusa.com and just title it What's Up? Uh, I know we've gotten a couple emails this week about some topics um, that we're going to be looking into. So those of you who've written in, I appreciate that. And we'll definitely take a look at those as well. So um, as, as for that, let's get started. So, okay. So as with everything, the biggest object in the nighttime sky right now is the moon. And it's something that we kind of have to plan our month around, especially if we're going out to a nice dark sky site and we want to do some observing, or maybe there's that really faint target you want to image. You have to keep an eye on the moon phases. So what are the, when, are, when is new moon this month? When is full moon? We're going to look at that right now. So new moon is actually um, coming up this coming week. It's February 11th. And that's going to mean that your dark sky weekend of the month is the 12th and the 13th. So uh, next weekend is going to be the time to get out. Uh, good luck with that on the, uh, being Valentine's Day. Um, some of us might be stuck with that. Um, something to keep an eye out. But that is going to be your dark sky weekend is the 12th and the 13th of the month. So plan accordingly. Full moon is going to be later in the month. Second to the last day of the month, it would be the 27th is when full moon is uh, for the month of February. And when we're talking about the full moon, every full moon has a name. And this 
month, uh, the full moon being on the 27th, uh, is going to be the snow moon. And the snow moon gets its names from the Dakota tribes um, because that's usually when the season has the heaviest snowfall, which I think many can relate to right now. Um, we are getting into the last major month of winter. Uh, March will bring in the coming of spring. So uh, this is generally when we're going to have that heavy snowfall. I know last week um, here in Arizona, it got really cold. We had snow and very low altitudes. And I know across the country, they've been getting some really frigid weather. So it's, it's kind of appropriate that this is known as the snow moon for February. So that is the official full moon name for this month's moon. But some other names, you have the eagle moon, the raccoon moon, and of course the goose moon. And it depends on what tribe um, you're looking at. If you want to know more about these, you can just Google it. Farmer's Almanac um, actually has all the, the folklore behind a lot of the full moons. And you can learn about um, each uh, full moon for each month and what the folklore behind those particular full names is. So something, something kind of cool. It's kind of fun to do as an outreach event thing too explore the full moon and the folklore behind its names. Now, that pretty much wraps it up for the moon. And the moon is always going to be really dynamic. So if you just got your scope, let me just go back here real quick. We kind of flew through the moon a little too fast. So the full moon, obviously being the 27th and the new moon being uh, the 11th, you have plenty of time between those two dates to get out and start observing the moon. Now, if you're joining us and you're new to astronomy, uh, the best time to observe the moon is when it's in its crescent phase um, or moving up to that first quarter because you have the shadow or the terminator moving across the face of the moon. That's going to give you that nice detail um, right there to get some nice contrast in the, the craters and stuff. Um, as we move to the full moon, it's going to become brighter, obviously. You're not going to have as much definition. Even if you're using a filter, like a polarizer, ND, or a moon filter, um, observing the full moon through a telescope, you're going to lose a lot of the dynamics that you would looking at it earlier in the month. So, uh, But it is a really cool uh, photo op to get the full moon rising against some kind of landscape. So plan for February 27th if you want that, you know, photo moment to get that rising over some mountains or some trees or something neat want to aim for february 27th uh, but there's plenty of time to get some nice viewing in on the moon uh, between the 11th and the 27th so keep an eye out for that if you're looking at observing the moon all right planets so planets the planets right now, we've lost a lot of our major naked eye planets. Jupiter and Saturn are pretty much gone um, from the evening sky. They're coming up in the morning right now. Um, but the three visible planets that we have in the evening right now are Neptune, Uranus, and Mars in that order um, as they set. And we'll kind of break into uh, some of the details of those right now. So Neptune... Neptune, if you've never observed Neptune before, Neptune needs about a 5-inch or 130-millimeter or larger telescope. It looks like a dim blue uh, sphere, but um, right now it's not in the best position to be viewing Neptune because as faint as it is, very, very low in the western sky just after sunset, um, it's pretty much setting at 8 o'clock. So you have a very small window 
to get out there and view Neptune. Uh, and it's really not in an ideal position to view it, but it is a really cool planet to check out uh, because it is the most distant. Now, if you've ever tried Neptune before, um, it is fairly small, being several billion miles out there. Um, so you may need some magnification. Larger telescopes can help, uh, but do keep in mind that if you are using larger telescopes because of how low in the atmosphere that this is sitting, you're gonna have a lot to contend with as far as seeing conditions. It's not gonna be ideal um, for really getting the best view of Neptune right now. We're kind of at the end of the season for uh, planet Neptune, but it's still there if you wanna give it a shot. It's just gonna be low and you'll need a nice clear western horizon to grab it. So if you wanna give it a shot, it's still up there to take a look at, but this is probably the last month, especially by the end of the month, it will be pretty much gone uh, from the evening skies. Now, Uranus is still high enough in the sky right now to get a decent view. Um, it's not far from Mars, so it's fairly high in the sky um, after sunset. And actually, we have these pulse Stellarium up here real quick. Um, if you've never used Stellarium before, um, it's actually a great program. It's free and basically a planetarium program. Um, you can get this on all kinds of systems. Um, but it is a great uh, planetarium software if you kind of want to learn the nighttime sky and play around with it. So that's uh, what we're going to be using right now. I've set this for, let's just go to, we'll just do that right there. So uh, this is our evening sky tonight. Uh, probably around 7 o'clock is when this actually is. So right up here, let me see if I can get these constellations on real quick. just for uh, for anybody who needs the labels. Um, so here's the constellations that are up this evening, about seven o'clock. Um, so this is kind of a cool thing to see. Let me back this out about an hour, not that far. See if we can find uh, Neptune out here. So as you can see, um, about 7.15, uh, Neptune is really low in the Western horizon out here. And it's gonna be a bit of a challenge to see as we were talking about. And it's only going to be, even at seven o'clock, and this is from my latitude here in Arizona, which is 33 degrees roughly. Um, we're only at an altitude of 15 degrees. So it's gonna be really low uh, to catch Neptune. So that's, that's just the information there for Neptune. But um, Uranus, which is next in line is real high up in the sky right now, right after sunset. And it's in a really good position to be viewing uh, Uranus right now. It's at an altitude of 60 degrees um, at seven o'clock and is pretty much gonna be visible up until I believe right around midnight is when we start to lose it. So let's just pan that. Yeah, so just after midnight, uh, Uranus uh, steps out of the nighttime sky. So if you wanna get out and actually view a decent um, distant planet. You will need a telescope for this, probably about four or five inches in aperture or bigger, always helps. Uh, the nice thing about Uranus being so much closer than Neptune is, is it actually does look like a planet in the field of view of the telescope and it's easy to see. So it actually looks like a light blue uh, sphere amongst the star field. Neptune can kind of fall back and kind of look like a star if you don't have enough magnification or resolution on it, where Uranus 
being closer, even at lower powers, you will notice that it's more of a pronounced ball rather than a star in a star field. So Uranus is a, a fun planet, and then trying to see how many moons you can pull um, out is a is a fun observing project that you can uh, give a go there. It is challenging for imaging, though, because it's so small. So if you're a planetary imager, um, Uranus is going to be a little bit of a difficult one to see. But uh, give that one a try. It's kind of a fun planet to... Uh, see, and it's obviously one that you're going to have to check off the list if you're um, observing planets. Now, not far from Uranus is Mars. Now, Mars was in a really ideal observing position in the fall. Um, it was really close. It was one of its closest approaches, and it was, it was really quite large enough for even modestly telescopes to get a good view of the dark details and the ice caps and all kinds of stuff on the, the face of Mars. But Mars is moving away from us now in its orbit as uh, that's why um, NASA and any major space agency will wait until the planets get close to launch their missions. And now that we're separating off of our orbits again, um, it's moving away from us. And it has been for last couple months quite rapidly so um, the position of Mars is getting um, it's still high in the sky it's in a good position for viewing but its size is getting smaller and smaller so if you're going out there and viewing Mars it's gonna be difficult because it's it is getting so much smaller than what it has been so if you're trying to get some detail on it um, it's it's probably going to be challenging to really get some nice detail out of it at this point because it's moving so much further away from us. So if you are going to be observing Mars, you might need a fair amount of magnification. More resolution would be nice. Um, if you just got your first telescope for the holidays and you're just starting to get out and using it, um, I've had several people email in saying they were disappointed with the view of Mars that Honestly, it has nothing to do with the telescopes that you're using from whoever. Um, it's just it's not in a good position anymore. It is moving away from us. So it's it's hard for us to get a good view of Mars at the moment. So you can still go out, get a fun view of it. You can see the red planet. Um, you might be able to make out some basic details on there, but it is going to be quite small. Um, so just keep that in mind that you may need some magnification on it, but it's not going to be anywhere near what it was Um in the fall you're gonna have to wait until 2022 when it ropes back around in its orbit to get another really nice view of mars because of how the positionings work in the orbits so that's what mars is doing right now uh, uranus isn't far from it either so those are the two planets that are really nice and high in the evening sky uh, of course we do get venus in the morning sky um, we're kind of just focusing on the evening stuff at the moment but you can get venus jupiter Saturn those are up in the early morning right now so if you want to get out and view they are going to be low so they're not in an ideal position for you to go out and view them in the morning but they are there if you want to give it a shot but it will be improving as the months go on and those get higher and higher in the sky and eventually we will get Jupiter and Saturn back into the evening sky as we push later into the year late summer early fall ish um, time frame is when we'll be getting those two gas giants back into the evening sky again. So right now, if you're into planets, 
we're not we're not really in a great position for any of the planets right now you just kind of have to wait for it to kind of become planet season once again so we just finished up with a really strong planetary season in the fall of last year and we're at pretty much the tail end of that right now so sorry if you're into planets it it's pretty much done for the season at this point so now Another object that we've talked about on this webcast, I try to bring up every every webcast as well, of course, is the sun. Now, the sun right now isn't extraordinarily active right now. Um, there's not a lot happening. But the nice thing about the sun is it does, it, it kind of comes in waves. Uh, the cycle of the sun is every 11 years for solar maximum. And we're actually starting to come back out of minimum and starting to head towards maximum. So a lot of detail has popped up in the last several months. We've had some really nice sunspots and incredible uh, detail like this one up here from uh, a couple months ago. There's been some really awesome stuff to see on the sun, but it's kind of comes and goes. And But it is increasing. So if you have a solar scope, particularly a hydrogen alpha solar telescope or filter, uh, for the sun, not an imaging one. And you can go back to our webcast about solar filters and such to go over that. Those types of filters are what you're gonna be wanting to observe the sun with right now as details change. And the cool thing about the sun is because how dynamic it is, is it's going to change every day. I have friends that go out every morning and they observe the sun for five or 10 minutes. They see what's going on. Sometimes you're gonna have something that's just awesome. Other times it might be kind of quiet, but over the next couple years, you're going to notice that it's really going to ramp up and hopefully we'll get some really cool stuff um, in the coming years. But it is, it is a fun object to go out and observe, sketch, image, view, whatever you are interested in doing. But the nice thing, like I said before, about the sun is because of how dynamic it is and it changes every day, it can even change throughout the day, that you're never viewing the same object. You're always gonna see something different. There's gonna be a new detail or what have you, but there's gonna be something cool to see. So the sun is something you definitely wanna keep an eye on right now because you never really know when we're gonna get a major sunspot or an active region or a prominence or what, what kind of cool details um, that you might want to see. Now, I've talked about this before. Uh, let me pull it up here real quick. If you wanna see what's going on the sun, in the, like maybe you wake up, you're like, hey, is it worth um, checking out the sun this morning? Do I wanna drag out my stuff? I use this website. Um, this is the Gong H Alpha uh, website. And I just go on G-O-N-G -G, and then H Alpha is what you can put into Google and it'll pop up. But these are from professional observatories across the world. Um, they're all labeled in there, several different telescopes. Um, constantly taking pictures and the ones with the green check marks are showing you which ones are active currently. So you can always get a pretty constant view of the sun and hydrogen alpha to know what's going on or if something cool is going on. So like Big Bear in California, um, you know, we got some prominences up there. There's a little filament right there. Not a lot going on the sun today, but I usually check this every morning just to see if it's worth popping out one of the solar scopes and taking a look because you never know what you're gonna get. One day it could be nothing, the next day you could have some huge thing to go check out. So if you wanna keep up with that and see if it's worth going out, 
Um, check out this website. It's very, very helpful to keep up to date with what's going on in the sun. Um, and the nice thing, here's Hawaii um, right now. Uh, that's there on Mauna Loa. And, you know, there's um, Southern Hemisphere ones. Sun still looks the same in the Southern Hemisphere. But if you want to know if it's worth going out, this is the website I use. And it's incredibly effective to see, you know, is there anything cool coming on? But the sun, because it is moving into maximum over the next couple of years, it's going to be changing. So keep an eye on that kind of a cool thing to check out. Now, another thing that happens usually on a monthly basis is a meteor shower of some kind. Now, February doesn't really have any major meteor showers. Um, there's a small one that occurs throughout the month. No major ones. Um, the Alpha Centaurids are the one that happens pretty much throughout the entire month, the 2nd through the 19th is the peak times. And you're only looking at about six meteors per hour. So I don't know that many people would notice that there's a meteor shower, but if you do, they're gonna be coming from uh, Centaurus uh, constellation. So that's kind of what we're looking at for meteor showers. Not a lot going on as far as February is going. There are some major ones that are coming up. Um, obviously later in the year we can always look forward to, but right now nothing major to report as far as meteor showers go. But this is why we do this every month because everything changes. Now, with all that being said, probably the biggest type of viewing to do right now, of course, is deep sky. Now, if you're a deep sky imager or observer, the sky right now is flooded with targets and probably more targets than we even have time to talk about obviously we could do a whole hour on what's up in the nighttime sky as far as just deep sky targets go but um i just want to cover some of the basic ones um if you've never joined us for this uh, type of episode before when it comes to deep sky observing i try to give a sprinkle of easy targets familiar targets and some complex and challenging targets for both imaging and visual. So I try to give you a scatter of things to check out. But there's a lot that's going on as far as deep sky is this month. A lot of the fall objects are setting, giving way to many of the very prominent wintertime objects. And then, of course, as we get into midnight, we have some of the springtime coming up into play. Um, so we have a, quite a... a um, large array of uh, objects to choose from uh, depending on how late into the night you want to go. Now of course one of the highlight targets right now is the Pleiades. Um, this is in the constellation of Taurus also known as M45. Um, this is an awesome beginner object. It's awesome to view from dark skies. It's easy to see from light polluted skies like your backyard. Um, you can see the naked eye from a basic backyard great in binoculars and small like telescopes um but then as you get bigger telescopes especially when you get into dark skies the the amount of stars in this field is staggering so very cool object very easy object um i've said this before in last month's webcast if you just got your first telescope and you're still trying to explore the sky m45 and the pleiades cluster as it's known as is a great object to go out and view because it's so easy to see it's a nice open cluster in taurus 
it's easy to capture nice images of this in town if you're an imager. Um, a lot of these uh, details, this is a reflection nebula inside of the cluster. It's normally blue dust in there. Um, these are, you can generally get this from your backyard with today's modern cameras. Of course, if you get out to darker locations, there's all kind of dust around this star field and beyond that would be really cool to pull out if you were in the right location for it. So, of course, M45, the Pleiades, um, just show you where that's at right now. Um, there we go. Uh, so you have Mars. It's going to be just above Mars. Almost not quite vertical um, at zenith, but just path zenith um, after uh, sunset, pretty much. Um, but you'll be able to see it nice and high. It almost looks like a micro dipper. A lot of people I've seen say, oh, it's the little dipper. I like to call it the micro dipper um, because it's so small. But it does resemble what the dippers look like. You know, got the handle and then all that in there the cup um, so all that's in there right there so it's kind of a cool object to see it never really gets old it's a fun one to share with friends and families or if you just got your kids a telescope that's a great deep sky object to start uh, going into and that's kind of the cool thing about winter at least here in the northern hemisphere is there's so many easy deep sky objects to uh, observe or image so you just got your stuff for the holidays there's so many awesome and easy targets for you to explore in the wintertime, and the Pleiades is just one of them. Of course, the most famous one in the nighttime sky is M42, the Orion Nebula, and of course, it's next-door neighbor that's in the same field. That is uh, the Running Man Nebula. Very easy to see in light polluted skies. You don't really need any major optics to see it. Uh, binoculars would work fine, but the bigger the telescope, the more detail you can see. Orion's really interesting because if you get out to a dark sky site, it's so amazing how much detail can be seen even in a small telescope. But if you have a friend who's got a big, big scope, you know, 15, 16, 20, 25, 30, something big, um, Orion is so dynamic um, that it looks cool in any telescope. But when you get to a dark sky site and you have a variety of different uh, optics to check it out, and it's really neat to observe it see what detail you can pull out but this is the trademark you know object for the winter skies it's the easiest nebula to photograph so if you have a dslr and like a 200 300 400 millimeter lens you can get a great image of this with just that and a tracker so there's it's a great object to work with um, both visually and imaging and for imaging it's nice because it really is going to teach you how to process so because of how bright the core of this nebula is, as opposed to the outer wings of the nebula, you're gonna learn how to bring out faint detail as well as work on the, the bright core in there to not blow it out. So Orion really will teach you quite a bit on your processing technique as well. So great object. I'm pretty sure no one ever gets sick of it. Everyone has to stop by and say hi to it um, for the season. And of course that's nice and easy to see. Um, it is, you know, seven o'clock right after the sun goes down. It's kind of going to be fairly high in the southeastern sky, you know, maybe higher overhead in northern latitudes, um, but, or more southern latitudes, but it's easy to see pretty much anywhere in the northern hemisphere at the moment, right here in the belt of Orion, and easy to, easy to check that out right now. So that is the Orion Nebula. 
everyone's favorite for the most part for the winter time. Now, of course, next to Orion is a Horsehead Nebula, IC434, also an Orion. Uh, this is very challenging to see visually. Uh, you see images like this plastered all over the internet. It's incredibly easy to get a nice image of the horse head nowadays with modern imaging equipment, but it's very difficult to see visually. And if you're at home with a hydrogen alpha filter and like a 200 millimeter telephoto lens, you can get a great shot of the horse head nebula in like 10 minutes. No big deal. Imaging, however, or visual, however, it's very difficult to see. You do need dark skies. You're going to need telescopes probably of at least 8 inches in aperture or bigger. The more aperture you have, the better. Um, an H-beta filter is ideal for seeing this visually, and you're going to need a lot of patience because you're basically looking for a black thumbprint on black tablecloth. You're, you're moving the telescope side to side can be helpful to see the horse head. You're basically trying to see the horse head illuminated against the hydrogen cloud in the back. That's what you're trying to see there. So it's difficult to see. I have a 16 inch daub right now and I can see it. I have seen it in there multiple times. It's not the most challenging thing in the world, but very careful eye and take your time. It's more of a thing about patience uh, when observing the horse head and just understanding what you need to do to see it. Um, but you will need dark skies to see it. You cannot do this from a light polluted location. It's just too faint um, and not enough contrast. So dark skies, good transparency, that's what you're going to want. But if you're an imager, it's a walk in the park. Just throw the camera on there and go for it and no problem. So great object to see right now that of course is in the not far from orion orion's down here it's off the bright star alnitak and the uh, constellation of orion so another good one to see um more of a challenging object visually a fun one to do for image so that is the horsehead nebula always always a fun one to see and another good one for uh beginner imagers now, another one that's actually, there's three cool nebulas right in a row in the constellation of Orion. We have, obviously, Orion, M42. We have the Horsehead, IC434. And then, of course, we have M78. M78 is also an Orion. This one is really best done from a dark sky location. This is a very complex nebula. There's a lot of different features in M78. You have dark nebula, you have reflection nebula, and you have a little bit of emission running through the region there. So there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, normally in a decent sized telescope from dark skies, you can get the reflection nebula in there and you can get some of the dark band, the main band right here going across the, the brighter region of, of the nebula. That's about all you're going to get. You could try in darker skies. You'll probably get a little bit more detail out of it. More aperture always helps if seeing is good. Um, there's not really any filter that's going to help you out with this either. Uh, but I would try at least an 8-inch telescope. You could probably do it a little bit smaller. You could see just the glow and the main dark band, especially from darker locations. But more aperture will always be helpful. Imaging, however, it is an easy capture for imaging, but there's a lot of complex details in this nebula. So 
processing this is going to be a little bit more of a challenge because you have a lot of faint detail in there. Uh, the dark nebula that's woven through the reflection nebula. There's a lot of really cool things to gather from M78. And if you are imaging, there's, there's not a lot of hydrogen detail in the nebula itself, but you have part of the Barnard loop right here, especially if you have a, if you have a wide field telescope, like something with a 500, 600 millimeter focal length, and you can start to collect some of the Barnard loop, um, which is a big hydrogen loop in Orion, uh, just to the left of this. You can add a little bit of hydrogen alpha detail um, when imaging with an H-alpha filter. You won't get a lot of the main nebula, but you can add that to your red channel, and you can see a lot of really cool things pop out when adding hydrogen detail on top of your red channel uh, when imaging M78. So it's not a great narrowband object. That's why it's not super awesome to do it in town. Uh, but you can be surprised at what's floating in there um, when combining certain details. So that's M78. Definitely worthwhile target to go check out um, while Orion is still nice and high in the sky right now. Now we're going to dip off into some of the more challenging targets right now. Um, one right now is Sharpless 308, or SH2-308. Now, the Sharpless catalog is a large collection of nebulas um, scattered across the sky. Uh, a lot of the popular nebulas have Sharpless um, numbers. They are part of that uh, category there. But they have some really interesting nebulas um, out there. And if you want to try something more challenging beyond NGC and Messier's, uh, dig out the Sharpless catalog because there's so many weird and cool objects in here. So this is Sharpless 308. Sharpless 308's in Canis Major. And this is really difficult to see visually. Um, I'm going to guess you probably need at least a 12-inch, very dark skies, UHC or O3, because it is a very heavy in oxygen 3 as far as signal goes. Um, this whole bubble right here is oxygen 3. Uh, this is a four-hour uh, stack of four-hour exposure um, in O3 uh, data right there. Now, this is a challenging target meaning that the biggest challenge about this is it doesn't rise very high in the northern hemisphere. Um, usually, this was taken from our remote observatory. It's at 35 degrees latitude in California. Um, we only get about a four-hour window to capture this nebula. So the further north you go, the harder it's going to be to capture it. You know, if you have faster optics, that's going to be helpful. But uh, Sharpless 308 is does sit on the lower side of the southern portion of the sky. Let me see if I can bring this up real quick. Don't know how deep the catalog here goes on. Uh, let's try its other catalog. Okay, there we go. So this is Sharpless 308. Um, it's actually pretty easy to find. If you can find that the bright star right there, you can find it. Um, it's actually fairly large, so having a decent field of view, that's going to be needed. But you can see it doesn't get very high in the sky right now. So, you know, I think it's maximum altitude. Um, 
when it transits, at least for us and our observing location, it only gets to be about 32 degrees in altitude. It's not that high, um, but it is a really cool field of view. Uh, but you're going to be wanting to image this in O3. It's got a lot of detail in Oxygen 3. So you want to make sure that the moon is probably going to be down because the moon does emit light in this frequency. So generally shooting around new moon or when there's a small crescent or the moon is late in the evening um, would be the best time to do it. This was taken with a 3 nanometer O3 filter. Um, like I said, four hours of exposure time stack will give you a pretty nice... Uh, shot at that but that is Sharpless 308 one of my favorites um, very cool nebula very big nebula but something to definitely go out if you're looking for something that's off the beaten path now the next one is a mix of difficult and really easy at the same time so M78 I'm sorry this is M81 M82 many of us are pretty much familiar with these two galaxies they're in Ursa Major um, Big Dipper you can see these in a 50 millimeter finder scope from like basic skies. You see them as little fuzzies. If you've got a larger telescope, you can easily bring those out. If you're in dark skies and you have telescopes around uh, 10 inch or bigger, the details in the arm of M81 is phenomenal. Um, if you've got a 16 inch or bigger telescope, it's mind boggling how cool these two galaxies look and a nice dark sky and a big scope. But uh, yeah, so you have M81 and M82, the cigar galaxy back here. These are very easy targets to see, very easy to photograph. You can do them from in town in your backyard to get just the galaxies. However, the challenging part of this region of the sky is all this nebulosity behind the galaxies. Actually, it's not even behind, it's in front of them. The galaxies are behind it. They are the background objects where the integrated flux nebula or IFN, uh, which is all this uh, like wavy detail in there, um, that is very difficult to capture. It requires dark skies and it's very faint and delicate. So processing is going to be a challenge here. Um, I do know a couple of observers who have been able to see some of the brighter regions um, in the darkest of skies, but you're going to make sure you've got everything's got to be right to see it good transparency decent aperture um, and very careful observing of this location but you could probably get some of the fainter or the brighter areas of the if ifn nebula up there um, and just to give you an idea here is the luminance channel of this particular shot uh, before we really went in and processed the galaxies um, there's all kinds of detail there's a lot of other galaxies in this field too so it's kind of a mix. You're shooting a very easy object, but there's a lot of challenging objects within the same field. So it's a very cool region of the sky to uh, image at that point. So that is M81, M82, and the integrated flux nebula as well. So easy and challenging all at the same time. Uh, also real quick, um, if you are imaging these two and you wanna bring out the detail in M82 back here, that kind of reddish region in there. Do a couple hours of hydrogen alpha. There's also some cool detail in M81 that will come out. There's some uh, star forming regions in M81 that'll pop out, but doing a little bit of H alpha data and applying that to your red channel will help pop that detail out a little bit more. So um, 
that is the m81 m82 and the integrated flex nebula if you're looking for an easy and challenging all-in-one field that is the way to go uh, at the moment uh, next one i'm a really big fan of the abel planetaries i think they're kind of fun um, they've got really unique details um, Hold on, there's a question here about the galaxies. Oh, it's called M82, Harley Davidson. Got it, okay. Um, thanks for that uh, in the chat. Um, so moving on real quick, I'm a big fan of the Abel planetaries. They're challenging planetaries. They're usually very spherical. Um, they look really cool in a lot of things. They are visually obtainable. There's not that many of them, so you could easily go through and hit them um, throughout an evening if you were up all night. But uh, this is Abel 33, or the Diamond Ring Nebula. This is in Hydra. Um, the Abel planetaries are not something that comes up too often. Um, a lot of people are busy imaging you know, the favorites or viewing the favorites, but if you're looking for a challenge, both imaging and visually, Abels are a lot of fun. Um, you will need about a 10-inch telescope at least to get at, at least this one. Some of the A-bells are more challenging to where you might need something 15, 18, 20-inch category. Um, you're going to want a UHC or O3 because a lot of these are planetaries, and a lot of them are visible in that particular wavelength of light. So this is A-bell 33. And what's kind of cool about this one is it has this star in the foreground the nebula is in the background but just the alignment as we see it here on earth it looks like a diamond ring so it's kind of a fun one to see uh it's very strong in o3 so if you're going to be imaging uh try doing o3 you want to do a bicolor um you could do uh, h alpha and o3 and combine them together to get a bicolor image but that is a bell 33 in hydra let's see if i can pull that up here really there we go so this is where abel 33 is you have leo over here canis major um canis minor and you have hydra uh working its way down south but uh right over here is where abel 33 is so it's a pretty cool nebula to photograph and see um if you're going out to some dark sky sites it's in a good position probably around 10 o'clock it looks like and that's in the south southeast um, right there but it looks like it it does get rather high in the sky in the south so you've got some good time right now if you want to view it and so it's definitely uh, worth checking out there at this point so i would definitely recommend getting that out at the moment so that is abel 33 um if you're looking for more challenging planetary nebulas look up the abel catalog um, there's Abel galaxies and Abel nebulas. If you were more interested in the nebulas, go check out the Abel planetary nebulas and check all that out. There's a lot of cool things up in that region um, right now and in the summertime. Now, to, uh, we might finish up a little early today, which is fine because we ran over last week. Uh, the next one is the Leo triplet. Now, if you're getting up later in the evening, the Leo triplet is starting to come up. Uh, it's in the constellation of Leo. There are three galaxies in the triplet, um, M65, M66, and NGC 3628. Uh, a lot of times you can get these three 
all on the same field of view. So it's it's a fun one to image. Um, visually, M65 and 66 can generally be seen in moderate locations, but NGC 3628 is going to be a lot harder to see. You would need some dark skies to pull that one out. Larger aperture always helps. I already did that. So if you're imaging from home, you should be able to get all three. Um, it might take a little bit more integration time um, with that. Not, there's not a lot of narrow band you can really do um, at all with these. You just have to do your typical color data. Um, but that is a fun collection of galaxies to see this time of year, uh, especially if you're going to be up in the evening sky. And, you know, it's not hard to find these um, right now. So let's just show where those are at. Um, so this is the Leo Trio right over here. They're kind of in the bottom portion of Leo the Lion right down here. So actually not far from Vesta, uh, dwarf planet Vesta. So the Leo Trio right now, if you're going to be staying up into the late or you're looking for a, if you're imaging and you're looking for something to capture in the later portion of the night, uh, the Leo triplet would be a good one to hit if you're just looking for something that's on the easier side. Um, we do have Virgo coming up as well. There's all kinds of challenging galaxies and fields of galaxies in there. But just to wrap it up as an easy one that's kind of fun, the Leo triplet is uh, definitely a fun one to check out. If you're in dark skies, it's a nice uh, view of three galaxies. You can generally fit them in the same field of view as you know, and most telescopes there. So that's pretty much it. So yeah, that, that kind of wraps up uh, this week's uh, episode of What's Up in the Nighttime Sky. Um, if you enjoyed this and you want to keep up with what we're doing in the future, uh, go ahead and subscribe to the channel. And if you have any questions or you want us to do a particular episode on something, you can email us at support at skywatcherusa.com and just title it What's Up. If you have any questions now, be happy to uh, take those real quick. We also have our threadless shop. If you are looking for some cool shirts or jackets, we have our threadless shop. Um, you can just pick what you want and you know order it from there. You can pick your colors, um, all kinds of stuff. Um, so that is the threadless. That's skywatcher.threadless.com. If you want to get some Skywatcher swag to match your Skywatcher scope, there you go. Um, we've got a couple different designs up there right now, and we'll probably be adding more in the future. So that is the skywatcher.threadless.com store, and you can go check that out if you want there as well. Um, next week, real quick, before I jump into questions, this is from an episode that we've uh, been asked to do for a while. We find it's time to probably do it. We're going to do an EQ6R overview episode we're going to dive into probably our most popular mount of all time the eq6r we're going to talk about its specs what's kind of cool about it um some helpful tips and tricks about it um so if you're interested in one or you own one and you want some kind of overview on it we're going to be talking about the eq6r next week so tune in back for that as well and like i said we do have our schedule for february already posted on the youtube channel and we just added march last night so you can see all the march episodes that are coming up as well um so we'll hopefully see you guys next week for that so with that being said if you guys have any questions now's the time to do it i know there's some floating around um 
Uh, let me dig into this real quick. First question. The Leo triplet is my personal favorite. Would you say LRGB is the best solution? Yes. Um, if you're going to be imaging the Leo triplet, you pretty much have no option um, to shoot it other than doing color. So either with a one-shot color camera or if we're using monochrome LRGB, um, if you're in a dark sky and you can get some good luminance data behind that, that'll help bring out some of the details there. Um, so that would be something to definitely work with um, on that. So um, yeah, if you're shooting the Leo triplet, you're probably going to have to do it in color regardless. So yeah, one shot color or LRGB would be the way to go. Uh, let's see. Oh, yes, Cameron. That I. It's been so long since I've done any outreach events. Um, the Eskimo Nebula, NGC 2392 up in Gemini. That's an awesome little nebula. Um, great detail. If you actually magnify a lot, if you got like a 12, 14, 16 inch telescope, if you magnify that quite a bit and put a filter in there, you can actually see the detail in the kind of the Eskimo head as opposed to the parka. Um, it's actually really cool to see. Uh, I've gotten to observe that through the 24 inch Clark refractor up at uh, Lowell Observatory a couple years back, and it was amazing what that nebula looks like when you get some serious aperture thrown on there. But yeah, the Eskimo Nebula, uh, I should have thrown that one in there. That That's a great one uh, to check out as well. There's all kinds of stuff up right now. Like I said, we could have done a whole episode on just deep sky targets for this time of year. Um, that all those are very, very good. Um, I see there's some other uh, comments on uh, different objects that are up as well. So um, like I said, there's so many objects that are visible uh, right now that we could have done an entire episode on just that. And you know, maybe someday we will do some challenging targets on that. Uh, just bought an EQ6R. Congratulations. Welcome to the Skywatcher. Uh, team on that. Uh, any info on scope delivery, anticipator refractor versus Newtonian deliveries? Um, so we've kind of brought this up in the past. Um, right now, the entire telescope industry is basically dealing with a surge of interest, and it's hard for them and us as well to keep up with the demand and production at the same time. So that's why it's so hard to get new equipment right now. We are making stuff, so is everyone else. Um, but it's taking time to meet the demand. And at the time, the demand is crazy high. So while many might be frustrated that it's taking a long time to get your equipment, you have to think on the other side, this is incredibly good for our hobby. It's incredibly healthy for our hobby. And what's happening now will hopefully inject a massive amount of new interest in the astronomy world and you know, bring a whole new generation of amateur astronomers into our hobby. So while it might take a couple months to get your equipment, if you placed your order and you just be patient, you'll get it. I'm pretty sure whoever you ordered it from, they're producing it. They want to fulfill it just as much as you do. Just be patient. But on the flip side, do remember that if you really do enjoy this hobby, now is the best time we've ever seen for it because there's so much new interest coming into the hobby. It's going to make a really good push for the future and advancement of astronomy as the years go on. So uh, it's, it's kind of this crazy time right now. So just be patient. Be understanding. Everyone's working as hard as we can to get that stuff done. Um, as far as 
our equipment. If you want to know lead times, you can just email us at support at skywatcherusa.com. You'll just have to tell us what exactly, what model you're looking for because we have a massive list and it varies on model to model. So I can't give you exact time right now. But if you email and tell us exactly which ones you're looking at, we can be a little bit more helpful at giving you a rough window. Uh, next question is that best LRGB or narrow band? Um, Pamela, I'm not sure what you're referring to. It might be about the Leo triplet. Uh, the Leo triplet doesn't really have a lot going on for it in uh, narrow band, so this would be just LRGB um, for shooting the Leo triplet. And most galaxies, narrow band isn't going to be anything. We actually just did an episode on imaging filters and how to use them like two weeks ago. So if you want to have, if you're not sure or you're just learning about filters, we did a whole episode about filters and when to use each filter on a previous episode uh, about a couple weeks ago. So that will be helpful if you want to know when to use this filter and when to use that filter. So we have that all there and that's that's there. Oh, you were asking about the Eskimo Nebula. Uh, Eskimo Nebula can be, because it's an emission nebula, it's a planetary that is an emission nebula. Yes, you could use H-alpha, O3. Uh, you probably won't get a lot with the sulfur filter, but you could try it. Um, or you could do LRGB and mix some narrow band in there. There's a bunch of stuff you could do on that. Um, just remember though that the Eskimo is very small. So if you have a short refractor or short focal length scope, um, it's gonna be tiny on there. You may have to crop quite a bit to get it. So that's one of the objects that would do better with you know a thousand millimeter or longer focal length, high resolution cameras to pull out that detail. Um, but yeah, the Eskimo would work for LRGB if you want like a true visible light look or you could do a uh, narrow band with it as well. Predominantly H-alpha and O3 uh, sulfur, it's probably not super active in. There's not a lot of objects that have a lot of sulfur up there. So uh, something to check and look at. Uh, I have friends considering other brands and wanted to consider your, oh, we appreciate that. Um, uh, yeah, so if you want to know about a particular model and you're trying to push people over to us, which we for sure appreciate, um, we'll be helpful. We'll be happy to give you a lead time on the particular models. The Esprits are very popular. It takes a while to get those, um, and a lot of them are sold out at the moment before they even get to us. So if you're looking for Esprits, you're looking at several month uh, lead time if you just put the order in now. Uh, the doublets, I'm not so sure um, what they're looking like right now. I'd have to look at our list. Um, they might be a little easier to get. Um, but as long as you're patient, we'll get it to you. So, because um, we are producing as fast as we can um, and still trying to maintain our quality, of course. So, But if that's pretty much it, you guys, I really appreciate everyone uh, taking the time to be here this morning. Um, again, join us next week. We're going to be doing an EQ6R overview video. That's not going to be showing you how to set it up. We're just going over the features and the design and, you know, what the EQ6R offers and give you some t helpful tips um, on that at the moment. So um, we'll take a look at that. Uh, Steve, any new info on the Comet? 
I should have looked this up beforehand. Uh, let me see if we can pull that up right now. There's a website I like to use when I'm looking up comet details. Um, I don't keep up with comets a lot because they fluctuate so much. Um, let me find this real quick. I can never remember the name of this website. Um, but let's see if we can find it. Oh, here we go. So if you want to know about comets, this is what I use. Uh, it says cometchasing.skyhound.com. Um, I'm sure there's several comets up right now. I'm not familiar with the one right now. I don't know if it's Russell Linear. Um, that's a 12th magnitude right now. I don't know if the magnitudes on this are accurate um, to what's occurring right now. So I apologize, Stephen, if I'm not hitting it. But this is the... This is the website I use for any currently visible comets. Um, so this is what I would check out um, right there. So there could be a good one apparently this December. So that's something for us to check out, uh, Comet A1 Leonard. Um, but I'm not aware of any comet right now. But again, it's hard to keep track of them all. So if you want to keep up with it, this is the website that I use for that. Um, I'll have to dig through there and keep an eye on that. So I, I appreciate you uh, bringing that up. All right, guys, uh, it is that time. Uh, thank you so much for spending your morning with us here at Skywatcher. If you liked it, go ahead and subscribe to the channel. We will see you next week for our EQ6R overview video. Um, uh, we've got a lot of stuff going on this month for such a short month. All of that is posted on the YouTube channel. We're going to have astronaut Don Pettit. Um, he's flown to the ISS three times. Um, he'll be with us on the last Friday of the month. Uh, that's already posted, so we've got some really cool stuff in the works. Um, so we, we definitely appreciate you being here for the ride. Uh, please have a safe weekend. Stay healthy. Uh, hopefully it's clear for you. Get out and do some viewing. Uh, plan your dark sky event. Um, whatever. Just get out there. Shut the TV off and uh, go enjoy the nighttime sky wherever you're at. But thank you very much. Stay safe, and we will t uh, see you guys uh, next Friday. So take care, guys. Bye.